You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, listeners, and welcome to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. We are proud to come to you from America's Web Radio, which is the largest produced dot-com station in the country. Today I come to you with so many questions but few answers. This month it seems that I've had parents after parents seeking my counsel about what to do with their teen or young adults who simply won't respect their family values, won't comply with any consequences given for breaking the house guidelines, and appear not to care who they hurt in the expression of their rebelliousness. Now, one of my parents, who has recently sought my counseling skills, reported that her daughter snuck in and out of her bedroom so she could party, which is translated to using drugs and drinking, um, and be with her boyfriend, who was a heroin addict. And this parent was simply at a loss about what to do. And another parent had an 18-year-old who refused to complete high school and refused to get a job. And this kid spent his day playing video games and smoking pot in his parents' backyard. This is just a very small sample of the parents I've met lately who are throwing their hands up in the air in hopelessness because they can't figure out how to help their loved ones. And I am happy to announce that today... We have help for all of you out there who feel that you are at your wit's end with your non-compliant teens and young adults. Our help's name is Howard Barker, and he works with a new life, and in that capacity, he educates about issues surrounding mental health and addiction, and he also helps families navigate the many challenges they encounter as they try to get help for their loved ones. Mr. Barker has spent the last seven years working with families and young adults during times of crisis. He has helped many parents find hope while on the difficult path of trying to save their loved ones. Howard is a public speaker who focuses on issues that are impacting young people today. And Howard, welcome to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. <laughs> So happy to have you, and I have so many questions I want to ask you, but first, before we get started, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you, Dr. Ann, so much for having me on. Um, you know, it's funny, I, I, just as I was listening to you to you give the introduction, that 18-year-old you were describing sounds like he could be one of our guys over at New Life House. Um, you know, I've been, uh, I've been. This is a, a labor of love for me. I was actually a uh, troubled teen, young person myself, and, and struggled with drug addiction. And so, you know, after getting help, I, I, uh, you know, began the journey to doing this professionally. Um, you know, I found myself after getting sober, you know, going back to school and really kind of immersing myself in this work, and it's become. Uh, you know, it's become more than just a profession, but but a passion, as I think it is for so many of us that that work um, that work in this field and all the di- all the different subsets and areas that that it impacts people. You know. Well, yes, and I'm so glad that you've had experience with your own topic that you work in. I think that's pretty awesome. And 
I know lots of, of providers where I work have their own recovery path that they've come through and sure. sharing it with others. So in my introduction to this program, I was lamenting about the barrage of parents who have recently sought my counsel about their teens and young adults. From your perspective, what are some of the core services that young adults and teens need in order to get the best possible chance at recovery from addiction, mental health challenges, and dangerous behavior? Well, that's a great question. You know, I think that there's a few different components that, that really, especially for teens and young adults, all need to be kind of tackled, you know, if you're going to have the best chance of success, whether that be towards prevention, whether that be towards addressing mental health, whether that be towards especially dealing with active addiction. And I think it's, you know, the first one I would say is clinical care, right? Having the right professionals, having the right clinicians in place that have experience working with, um, you know, not just broadly working with those issues, but specifically working with whatever that demographic is, you know, in this case, specifically working with young adults and teenagers, um, you know, second, secondary, I would say, community. <clears throat> Something that's so important um, for young adults and teenagers is having a community. And when, when you really look at a lot of the addictive behaviors that you see with young adults and teenagers, so much of it is wrapped around their, their social life. So much of it is wrapped around the way that they interact with, with their peers. So much of it is wrapped around this, this idea of either needing to be accepted or this idea of, not really knowing how to relate to other people without utilizing substances in order to do so, and also acting out in other ways, right? Um, yeah. You know, I, I would also say that, uh, that the appropriate support, so beyond just the peer community, healthy peer community, also having the appropriate support, um, you know, from other individuals, whether that be through also through the same level of kind of like professionals, through mentorship, through having, you know, healthy leaders that they can look up to beyond just clinicians. And then finally, I think um, one of the most important things that's, uh, that can be one of the most difficult, especially for parents when it's not, um, you know, professionals working in the field is accountability, right? Having teens and young adults that are, that are truly accountable for their behavior and having that, that be a message that's, that's consistently enforced to them by whatever um, structure they're living in, whether that be at home or whether that be by professionals. Yes. Now, you mentioned something that is such a problem, I think, in public schools, at least here in California, and that is finding a healthy peer group. So mm. let's be mindful that the teenage young adult brain is not fully developed. There is no wisdom. There is no, gee, what would happen if I did that before they do <laughs> it? There's no thinking like that. And all their peers are the same. And, it's, yes. and over time, I've noticed that a healthy peer group is usually reflected by getting good grades or mm-hmm. a healthier one. Now, that's great, but if you have a teen who feels lost and the only ticket they need for admission into having some friends is by smoking pot, for example, they'll go with yep. that. Well, do you have any comment about how to find a healthy peer group when you're feeling all by yourself? Sure. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's one of the million-dollar questions, right? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, like you said, with teenagers, <clears throat> the ability to, to engage in consequential reasoning and really 
play the tape out, so to speak, and think about what is this going to, what, how is this decision going to impact the next, you know, few periods of my life, or, or even let's take it further, even the next week, right? How is this decision going to affect the next week of my life? Just really isn't there. And so, you know, you're, you're very much turning to your peers as your barometer for what's acceptable behavior. And so when, when those peers are engaging in unhealthy behavior, there's, this thing we talked about, like peer pressure, it's not even as simple as peer pressure. It's more just like developmentally where I'm at as a teenager is I'm trying to differentiate from my family and connect to the world around me. So I'm going to do whatever I think is going to allow me to do that more effectively. And so when you have a teenager that's struggling and is lost and potentially, you know, the traditional education system is more difficult for them, maybe, you know, public schooling is something that they struggle with a little bit more naturally than others do. It can be really, really tough. Um, I would say that on, on, well, let me give you two answers to that question. On a professional level, when you, it's almost easier, right? When you have a team that's already kind of gone down the rabbit hole. So, so when you have a team that already has struggles with addiction, that, that piece can be easy to provide through finding a good program that can really offer that service, right, that offers it. So, so and we can talk more about that later, but the, the harder part is for the, the teenagers that maybe they haven't gotten to that point yet. And so the biggest advice I can say for parents is really trying to help your teen find something that they're passionate about and getting involved with the group, whether that's a church group, whether that's um, some sort of a sport um, whether that's some sort of, of you know, a, a musical path, whether, you know, drama or, um, you know, playing an instrument, but getting involved in some sort of extracurricular activity where there is a peer group that they can engage with, that they can relate to, and it has some set of goals. Um, now, I want to be really clear because one thing that I see happen a lot of times is parents come to me and they say, well, my son was, you know, a varsity football player, and, and so how can, and he gets good grades, so how can he be an addict? And I have to say, I say, that doesn't preclude some, you know, that's not, uh, oftentimes one of the problems we have is that the addict doesn't look like what we think they do on in television, right? It's not this someone living under a bridge with a brown paper bag, you know, it's, it's yes. uh, so... <laughs> Well, I, I want to encourage parents, and I couldn't agree with you more, Howard, by the way. Um, I, I want to encourage parents to think outside of the box. I once had a parent who had a mechanic friend, and this was a single parent, a male, and his son was interested in cars. So mm. he made a deal with the mechanic at the local gas station, who he knew, that his son could come down and watch for an hour and a half after school. And this really was of an interest to this kid and turned him around. And so if we have friends who do things get in, that your teen or young adult's interested in, get them involved in that. Think, think of uh, other things other than what's offered at school. I love that. So that's, how, that's, yeah, that's great. Isn't it? So, um, Howard, you've highlighted clinical care, community, support, and accountability. And this last one is really, really tough for most parents that I know who have struggles with their kids. So it's usually the real challenge, as I said, for parents. And how do they create accountability that's meaningful for their teen or their young adult? Oh, man. Well, that, that's, 
<laughs> I, for me, that's also one of the toughest ones for, their, for parents. And so before I say you one start three, answering that, and before you start answering that, we're in two minutes, two and a half minutes, we're going to come up on a hard break. So go. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I'd say one, one great place to start is, is your books, actually. You know, um, you, have, you have some wonderful books that talk about establishing contracts. And, and for me, you know, contracts are a form of boundaries. Right, and that's that's really the the answer to that question is establishing and maintaining boundaries. Um, creating accountability really starts with the parent. You know, the, you something that parents forget all the time. I know we got only one minute here, but it's that you're the one that has all the leverage. You're the one that has all the cards. Your your teen is and in and young adults in this subset of individuals also in this failure to launch category are usually entirely dependent on their parents for financial, emotional, um, and, and all other types of support. And so it really begins and ends with the parents being the ones that are establishing and maintaining those boundaries. And it has to start early, right? If you try to establish yeah. boundaries when the teen is, you know, 19 years old and they've, they've already been doing this stuff for five years, it's, it's going to be a lot more difficult to really, you know, get them to be effective. Um, I could. T- I know we got to. I could talk about this with for a long time. As I'm sure you could too. Um, but it's it's just it really that's the key is is establishing and maintaining those boundaries, and it really has to start in with the parents. Yeah, and I'd like to just add that in my humble experience, parents are tired. They come home from work, and then they are greeted by this chaos that's moved in their house. But parents, you're either going to pay now or you're going to pay later. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. you don't established in what has become your chaotic household, then you do, you can restructure it. But with that note, listeners, we will be right back with Howard Parker, who is with New Life, and I'm so excited to have him as a guest. We will be back in a couple minutes. You really can't appreciate what someone has gone through until you walk a mile in their shoes. That is why we are bringing the second annual Walk a Mile in Her Shoes to Atlanta. We are literally asking men to walk a mile in high heel shoes to express empathy for women who have been victim of sexual assault. Are you man enough? If so, join us Saturday, October 5th at Historic Fourth Ward Park. For more information, go to Atlanta Walk a Mile in Her Shoes. EverydayHero.do. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. 
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, listeners, to America's Web Radio and Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio program. We're here with Howard Barker from New Life, and we are talking about something that's so critical for parents to know whether or you have a substance abuse issue in your house or not. It's about how to deal with challenging teens and young adults without pulling your hair out totally and having to get a wig. So, um, Howard, we were talking about accountability, and I just and thank you for mentioning my books, but I just want to say what parents give a pass to goes into what I call the OK Corral. And what hangs out in the OK Corral are things that aren't OK that we've given a pass to. Hmm. And to, to recreate this for your kid... I think parents need to have a brief conversation, not more than two minutes, because that's about the attention span of your child, about we are changing the guidelines in this household because this isn't okay, and we need to correct that as your parents. And you may not like it, but we love you, and we are here to support you and to help you until you decide to move out and become financially independent. And I like that brief little statement because it um, alerts teens and young adults, change is coming, and do one thing at a time, not the whole slew of things that you've put into the OK Corral. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, well, I I do, and I think that, number one, that's absolutely on the mark, that being that, that short and to the point direction is so crucial. And two, I think that in addition to kind of notifying them that change is coming, it also it also kind of throws into the air something that's very, very important, which is that until you're financially independent, <clears throat> this is what it's going to be. And so, again, going back to so many parents, you know, I, that I work with at New Life House and, and even fam- and also, also families prior to getting to New Life House, they, they forget that they really hold all the cards because of that component, right? And so letting teams know that, I love you, I support you, I want the best for you, and absolutely this is your life and you're free to live it how you choose once you're financially independent. You know, once you're an adult and you're you're capable of supporting yourself, then those are going to be your decisions to make. But as of now, while I'm paying for the roof over your head and the food on your table and all the other things that, uh, that we spend money on, which for teenagers can be quite a bit, um, we're going to go ahead and do it by my rules because I care about you. Um, and I think that's such an important qualification to make. And I think that really recognizing that for parents is, um, is, is just such a big part of the issue. I do, too. And I think it's really uh, also important when they decide to move out to make a contract about what's acceptable for a visit, like, for example... Our family guidelines are that nobody comes in here high. So if you decide you mm-hmm. want to come over and you're high, you can't come over. So they know ahead of time. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So many of the young adults who come for treatment in the clinic where I work either don't want to get clean and sober, and they just come to treatment because their parents make them. So I have a two-part question for you. First, 
what are some of the common misunderstandings and misconceptions about young people getting sober? And second, what if you, your young adult, just doesn't want to get sober? Huh. I run into that all the time. What can parents do? <laughs> well, so uh, so professionally at New Life House, those are two of the biggest, um, you know, one of the biggest misconceptions and, and also one of the biggest questions that I run into on a daily basis when I'm working with families to get their sons into New Life House. Um, and the biggest, I'd say the biggest misconception is that in order for, and I'm going to really focus on addiction with this one because this is kind of my, um, my, my specialty. And so the biggest misconception is that in order to, be, to recover from addiction, that the young adult or a teenager needs to want to. Right, um, and that's just patent. It's patently false, right? So what we actually see is that success rates over time, in terms of, and I and we work for an abstinence-based model, um, you know, but that success rates over time have little to nothing to do with whether or not somebody wanted to get sober and and get healthy when they came into treatment and recovery. Now, here's here's the caveat to that: is that <clears throat> if that that doesn't that I don't when I say that I'm not talking about a 30 day treatment program right I'm not talking about and you know a, a short term IOP with no additional structure I'm talking about truly entering into a long term and a structured recovery program like New Life House or like you know any of the other opportunities that are going to really give a young person the appropriate time to rewire and to change the not just the the addiction but also the corresponding behaviors in their life that are unhealthy, um, you know, and, and so it, it's really so it's really completely unnecessary for the young person to really want to do it. And it goes back to to what you were talking about a second ago, right? If um, once the parents are the parents hold all the cards, and so whether or not the young person wants to do something differently, nine times out of ten, as long as the parents are firm and those, and have those boundaries established, they're not really going to have a choice, and so. You know, especially in 2019, so many families say, "Well, that sounds so draconian," and how, and, I, and we, you know, they need to be a part of this decision, and it needs to come from them. And I'm like, "Well, is it draconian to to do what's going to save your child's life and to establish some boundaries? And, and is it more important to do that, or is it more important to be their best friend and for them to think you're cool?" And um, and unfortunately, <laughs> um, you know, and I think that a lot of parents, uh, I don't want to say. I think that some parents have, you know, some of their own stuff going on, and so as a result, they it's important for them to think for it's important for them to have their child think that they're cool, and um, and that can be a huge impediment to to allowing them to make the steps to take the steps necessary for them to get help. Well, I want to comment on that because you are right, and uh, parents, I'd like you to know that. You, your job isn't to be cool. Your job is to guide your teen or young one or young adult through life in a way that will help them be productive, happy individuals, not to be cool. And you could have moments of cool, but we can't be cool about substance abuse because it just damages the developing brain and there, it doesn't come back. If you're allowing your kid to smoke pot, myelination stops. And the myelination right. is the process whereby the different lobes in the brain form a 
uh, freeway of communication. So that doesn't happen. So you ha- you create, trying to be cool, your teen or young adult to go have to think longer about things than people who don't have substance abuse issues do. So, yes, cool parents, I, I'd like to have a new mantra. Periods of coolness are great, but I'm not a cool parent. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I teach about enabling and codependency at my job, and I know you're very familiar with these terms. Could you please uh, explain each of these concepts for our listeners, enabling and codependency? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think that enabling and codependency, ultimately, we were talking before the show started, and it if I really boil them down to uh, in a very very simplistic way, um, it's it's when parents are kind of making think, they're making the relationship about themselves. So enabling um, is engaging in behavior that really directly or indirectly allows a young person to continue behaving in a way that's unhealthy. Specifically in the context of addiction, enabling can be things as as gross and 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 you know visible as buying someone you know, alcohol and saying, okay, as long as you drink it in my house, it's going to be safe and so I'll keep my eyes on it. Um, or, or letting, you know, their kids smoke weed in their home because, you know, as long as it happens here, they're not going to get in trouble. And then it can also be a subtle, well, and it's not really subtle to, to us, but to parents it can be, this can be seen as subtle, but ways of, you know, bailing them out of trouble, right? We are talking about um, you know, the examples of if a young person gets in trouble with the law and, and not only do the parents not give them consequences, but they actually pay for a high-priced lawyer that then gets them off with little more than a slap on the wrist. Um, mm-hmm. You know, those are both both types of enabling. And, and there's, a, there's a myriad of other ways that it shows up. It can, it can honestly just be in, in, an, in an emotional enabling, right? When, it's, when a young person comes home from school, and so we're talking about addiction, let's talk about on a more simple level. A young person comes home from school they get a bad grade and the parent says, yeah, I know that teacher is just so unfair. They just treat you. It's just, I can't believe they treat you that way. And that also sends just as powerful of a message. Um, and codependency is really having this reliance in order, I guess, and this is obviously a very unclinical definition, but, um, but, but really I need you to be okay in order for me to be okay. Right. I need you to, (laughs) okay, cool, cool. So, so really parents basing their, their, making their barometer of how they feel, and more than their barometer, their experience, right? Their experience of how they feel dependent on, uh, on their child. Well, it's just a huge control issue also because translation from the parent, I need you to be the person I want you to be so that I can be happy and okay mm-hmm. with who I am as a parent, and that just doesn't work. I've had kids who've won uh, sports scholarships to, like, San Diego State, and they they didn't want to do them. They wanted to go do something at the College of Arts and Crafts. And the parent was like, no, you can't do that. But <laughs> it's not about, see, it's not about what the teen wants, and maybe the teen's not so wise when it comes to selecting a college, but maybe they are, and maybe that's a reflection of what they want to do. So we really have to listen and not control and not enable. We're coming up on a break right now, and so listeners, we will be back with Howard Barker from New Life House. 
The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You really can't appreciate what someone has gone through until you walk a mile in their shoes. That is why we are bringing the second annual Walk a Mile in Her Shoes to Atlanta. We are literally asking men to walk a mile in high heel shoes to express empathy for women who have been victim of sexual assault. Are you man enough? If so, join us Saturday, October 5th at Historic 4th Ward Park. For more information, go to Atlanta Walk a Mile in Her Shoes. Everydayhero.do. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. back listeners to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. We are here with Howard Barker from New Lighthouse and we are so honored to have him because he is spot on. So for you parents out there or relatives or extended family, please listen carefully to today's program. Howard, many of the enablers that I encounter actually smoke pot or drink with their addicted offspring. And then they decide that they want their young adult to stop using, but they keep they keep drinking and using drugs. How important is the family's role in the recovery process from the beginning through long term sobriety? <clears throat> well, uh, that I wish uh, I wish I could tell you that I'd never seen that myself, <laughs> but unfortunately, oh. that's that's very very common. Um, you know, I think a lot of parents, I'll take it a step further, I, I see some parents, and that's the way that they use to connect with their teen, right? They they, they build some a, a component of their relationship around, you know, drinking and using. So, um, obviously, that's oftentimes more extreme cases. But, you know, the family role is, is huge from the beginning through the end of long-term sobriety. Well, there is no end, right? But, but from the beginning all the way through into long-term sobriety where the young person is truly kind of independent, both financially and emotionally. And so... Um, you know, professionally at New Life House, we we have a whole component of our program with four families, right? Where every other weekend we have you know a whole a whole piece where we involve families. They're actually coming to the program with the guys. Um, well, there's a lot of communication going on with the family. There's a lot of coaching going on with the family, and I'll tell you that it's in order for a young person to change because obviously this is about the young person right in terms of their behavior they're the one that's being destructive but stuff doesn't exist in a vacuum and um and i want to take a second before i go any further to acknowledge that the role of parents is difficult right you know circling back to what we were discussing when it comes to like enabling and codependency you know especially for mothers i see it one it's and i see it often with fathers as well but 
you know, when, when you're asking parents to make some tough decisions about these boundaries, like, you know, even, even sometimes kicking their young person out and closing the door on them and cutting off financial support if things get to that level, you know, it's really, it goes against the natural instinct of the parent, right, who, who is ultimately just trying to do what they believe is right to protect their young person and their loved one. Um, and so what we see happen is that that instinct is kind of like co-opted and, and taken over by this unhealthy impetus to, you know, it, it, it's, it's, over, it's overexpressed, I guess, right? But this need to control and all the things that you were just describing, but it, it comes from a, from a very primal place that is natural and that is, at, a, at its genesis, healthy, but unfortunately it's become, like, exacerbated and it's out of control. And so um, that, that whole dynamic has to be changed, right? So the parents have to, number one, learn how to take care of themselves, learn how to find themselves, learn how to get healthy and, and kind of separate from their kid to a degree, but also change any behaviors that are conducive to drinking and using, right? So, um, you know, any t- uh, for, for parents that have a teenager still living in a home, that looks like not drinking around them, you know, not, not sending them messages that, okay, cannabis use is okay, not sending them messages that, okay, using drugs is fine as long as you don't get caught, because that's one that I see also. Well, it's just weed as long as they don't get caught. It's not a big deal. Um, but really changing that messaging and changing that atmosphere and environment. And then for parents of young adults that we work with, you know, the 18, 19, 20-year-olds, really changing the way they communicate with their teens. So, so one of the biggest things that we see at New Life House is really needing to kind of reform that dynamic of what we were talking about earlier. I gave the example of, you know, the young person coming home and the parent telling them, oh, it's just because your teacher's unfair. But really cutting that, that type of interaction out, right? Not only having their teen, you know, have accountability inside of their home and their life, but also in their communication, right? Keeping the teen accountable, not letting them point the finger at others, making, bringing it back to them and saying, Listen, I love you, but you know it's time for you to kind of stop to start looking at what's your role in these things that are going on in your life. Like, what's the what's the common denominator in all these situations? And and that one, even though it's just you know talking, so to speak, can be one of the hardest parts for parents to to understand that you know bailing your kid out and reinforcing their their, their victimization of themselves is isn't helpful to them. You know, um, especially when we're trying to raise, you know, independent, resilient, and um, and strong young people, you know? Yes, and I want to say to our listeners that if, if this is your situation, you have to redefine the word love. Because everything you've been doing that you think was loving and kind is enabling once addiction comes under your front door. And you have to re-script how you communicate, just like you said, Howard. And parenthetically, I want to go back to inpatient. I am a big supporter of the idea that 30 days in an inpatient facility is not enough. Totally. It, it hasn't been practiced in 30 days is a prime relapse time, 30, 60, 90. And so you let your teen or your young adult out of, of inpatient rehab at a high relapse time with not mm-hmm. enough practiced, well-cemented coping mechanisms, and that's just disaster. And, so and, can, and can I, yeah, just can I comment on that really quick? I couldn't, that's, that's so crucial, right? Because it's, 
and it's unfortunate because on a certain level, like, I guess, mainstream media and the way that we talk about, uh, you know, rehab is really wrapped up, and the shows that we see, it's wrapped up around that idea, right, that, oh, it's 30 days and you're fixed. And the truth yeah. is that, you know, human beings aren't, aren't cars, right? This isn't a car wash. It's not, you just go through and we clean you up and spit you out on the other side and it never comes back. Like, you got to talk about what are the causes and conditions? What are the underlying issues that are leading to addiction? What are the behaviors? What are the emotional, I, just all of the, the pieces of it. And, and like you said, that can't be done. And, and, and now, for, for a young adult, right, that can't be done in 30, 60, 90 days. Now, if you have a, you know, a 45-year-old that's married, that has a career, that has two children, that, you know, maybe got into a car accident and they started taking opioid, prescription opioids. And as a result of that, they became dependent on those prescription opioids and they're just struggling to get off of it and it kind of got out of control, right? People like that, a 30-day treatment center can be fantastic for, right? It gives them some space between the addiction. It gives them some new tools. They're highly motivated to integrating those tools into their lives, um, you know, potentially integrating some a little bit of outpatient afterwards, and, and that, that can be very, very successful. But I think we make the we've made the mistake in the way that we deal with addiction in our country of of really treating you know eighteen year of believing that what works for an eighteen year old is going to is the same as what works for a forty five year old, and so and it's just that couldn't be further from the truth, and that's why I mean at New Life House we're age specific, right? We don't. We work with 18 to, all, all of our houses are broken down by age groups. So we have houses for 18 to 24 year olds, and then we have a program for 25 to 32 year olds. And so, you know, I, I really think that in, in the larger conversation about this stuff, we have to recognize that it's not one size fits all. It's not a car wash. And, and if you're going to re help someone relearn like their primal mode for interacting with the world around them, it's going to take some time and some, some in-depth effort. Yes, it's not In-N-Out Burger Rehab. And yep. <laughs> also, I, have, I honestly have the, my, one of my core beliefs as a clinician is that all addiction, or 99% of it, has to do with some unhealed deep wound that our teen or young adult is carrying around. And 30 days isn't going to help that much. 30 days is sure. maybe going to give you a little bit of structure that won't be followed when you get out. Now, yep. Howard, I have seen so many 20-year-olds over my years in this occupation who just think that their life's over because, as they tell me, the 20s is for partying and playing. <laughs> Why do so many young people think that getting sober equates to the end of their life? Well, I, I also see that <laughs> really frequently in, in that those those 20-year-olds, those, you know, 20, 21, 22-year-olds comprise the bulk of the, the young men that, that we work with. And so I think it comes from a couple different places. One, <clears throat> these are oftentimes guys that have truly developed like a substance use disorder at that point that are truly, it's gone beyond casual experimentation. And they're, you know, they have a very unhealthy relationship with substances. It's, it's so hardwired into them that the only way that they know how to interact socially, the only way that they know how to build relationships, the only way that they know how to, to take risks, and I mean healthy risks, like going up and, and you, know, you know, thinking that a girl is cute and going and asking her out on a date, or things like that, right? 
so many of those those pieces for them are wrapped up around you drinking and using and so yes it's become so such a big part of, of their life that social interaction and that, that which is which again for young adults is is really important developmentally and, and in a healthy way right they're supposed to be going out there and finding and individuating and finding their identity and connecting with other people and becoming a part of the world and so when that gets gets kind of like the wires get crossed with drinking and using it can be very very difficult to break out of it um and so, for, you know, a big part of helping those people get sober and stay sober is helping them understand that that's not the case, right? Showing them that they can still, and, and I, I love the, the phrase you use, right, partying and playing, that they can sh- still party and play in a healthy way, right? They can do it without drinking and using. They can do it in engaging in healthy, fun activities that are conducive to a healthy lifestyle, you know? Um, and and here I'll tell you one thing that's amazing is that there's there's really a movement of people that have kind of cropped up in that age group that have redefined the way that they're partying and playing, right? They've taken on fitness, they've taken on service, they've taken on all these other things that they're really using to, to add, you know, purpose and fulfillment to their life um, outside of drinking and using. I am so happy to hear that. Up in Northern California, we have this group called Wild Recovery. Okay. And honestly, the young adults and, and teenagers get so much recovery practice out of going camping together and going hiking together and creating different interests. And totally. And it's really a miracle. And it's sort of like joining a new family because the people I know who are in it not only have their own sponsor, but they have a grand sponsor and they have yep. an uncle sponsor, so it becomes a surrogate family with perhaps different values than the ones they came from. Now, totally. we have about two and a half minutes before we have to take a break. So what are some of the current trends that you're seeing with young adults and teens when it comes to substance abuse? So I know fentanyl so, is a big one. Yep, so we, so I see, so I'll give you the three big ones. Is the, the, the opioid scene has really been kind of, you know, taken over by fentanyl. Um, I was actually just talking with someone yesterday um, who had just, uh, it was a young man who was just getting sober, um, and he was talking about how, you know, in Southern California, well, across California, right, heroin is traditionally been huge, and he was saying that now, you know, what's coming across the border from Mexico is predominantly just fentanyl. And so um, that's that's really scary um, because the the potential for relapse is so much higher. Um, Traditionally, I think a lot of addicts the conventional wisdom amongst addicts is always now talking just about opioids. The conventional wisdom has always been that um, you know it's the weakened warriors that overdose and die, right? So it's the it's the young people that don't they're not truly seasoned addicts yet that are going to die because they don't know their tolerances. They're the ones that are they're not as experienced with using. They aren't as seasoned, um, and, and for a long time that kind of was the case, right? You usually more often saw these fatal overdoses being with young people that were partying that didn't really know what they were doing. They'd been drinking and they tried an opioid and, you know, they didn't wake up. Nowadays, that's just not the case anymore. Um, no one is no one is immune. You're seeing seasoned addicts um, that have been using opioids for years, overdose and die, even smoking fentanyl, um, even snorting fentanyl. So it's not just relegated to individuals that are using intravenous drugs anymore. That's terrifying, right? Because it's, it's, it's very... 
Yeah, yeah, it's very common for a young person to, their first introduction to a drug, say, oh, well, if I smoke it, it's not that big of a deal, you know? Yes. Um, I, by the way, Howard, I'm going to have to break. Um, for our listeners, fentanyl is being added to cocaine, meth, marijuana, yes. a whole bunch of things that we our, our family doesn't even know about. So this is really critically dangerous. And we're going to have to take a break, and we will be back in a few minutes with Howard Barker from New Life House. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hi, this is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour on America's Web Radio. If you'd like to hear an eclectic mix of great programs from relationships with Dr. Ann Schiebert to homegrown veggies and from classic cars to the Constitution, we've got programs for discerning listeners at www.AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, listeners. We are here with Howard Barker discussing challenging teens and young adults. Howard, you wanted to add something to what we were talking about right before our break. Yeah, really quickly, I just also wanted to touch on, we talked about fentanyl and the opioids, but cannabis and Xanax are also huge, and I would say really especially with that that kind of like 16 to 22-year-old group, cannabis and Xanax are almost the predominant things. I mean, a lot of young people have really scary ideas about Xanax and prescription drugs in general, but really just about Xanax and the fact that it's not that bad. It's a prescription. You know, the reality is that a lot of Xanax that's on, on the street and in high schools and in and colleges also nowadays isn't even real Xanax, right? It's something called pressed pills, um, which, which like Dr. Ann was talking about, can be laced with fentanyl can be just notoriously impure, can be research chemicals like atizolam or other, you know, benzodiazepine alternatives. Um, and then the other one is cannabis, right? And so I'll tell you that five, six years ago, 
we used to see young people coming in to get help with in, a, in meth psychoses, right? And they would come in with the meth psychoses and get them sober and get them on structure and get them healthy. And, and usually a week or two would go by and they'd be back to normal and they'd be okay. Um, we're not seeing as much of that anymore, but we're seeing a terrific amount of young people coming in in psychoses as a result of cannabis use, specifically concentrated cannabis, and they, they do not stabilize. It, you know, I, I've seen guys that it takes months and um, there's schizophrenia is presenting, like it, but it's it's so much worse. And parents can't wrap their head around that. And I, I feel like I sound like my dad when I say this, but the cannabis today is not the same as it was. Um, and and the, the modes of the methods of use with these concentrates, it's not the same. And uh, it's really, it's scary stuff because more than anything else, where we see these psychoses that are long lasting is coming from cannabis use, not from harder drugs. I couldn't agree with you more because I work in the emergency department and I see this all the time, paranoia and psychosis from marijuana use and the parents say to me, oh, it has to be something else. And I say, I know exactly what it is because we do blood tests and it's cannabis. So uh, parents and adults have to get a grip on this. But uh, I was just reading in the new mantra the new Monitoring the Future latest survey of drug use and attitudes among 8th, 10th, and 12th graders that across the country there's a substantial and significant increase in dating marijuana. I find this so concerning because of what we were talking about earlier, what marijuana does to the developing brain. And I also find that often marijuana use is tied to social media and video gaming, which is now has mm. research about how that damages the brain. What's your yep. experience with technology, social media, and addiction and substance abuse? Well, well, so they're oftentimes very wrapped up with each other, and especially in the failure to launch demographic, right? So that 18-year-old, that 19-year-old that maybe got through high school, maybe they didn't get through high school. They're now living at home with mom and dad. They lack direction. Maybe they have, you know, a job. Maybe they don't, but they're really not going anywhere. Those things that you just described are all tied up in it. And so um, that's the kind of video gaming world, you know, sit home, smoke pot, you know, and that's just the extent of your life. And it really, it, it video games, just like, you know, drugs, they work on the dopamine centers of the brain. And they're just, I mean, <laughs> this is a whole longer conversation, but video games are designed, right, to stimulate the reward pathways and to really keep giving you enough so you keep coming back and so we, we definitely there's a lot of research showing us now that this stuff is there is such thing as video game addiction there is such thing as tech addiction and social media it does the same thing um although i would say even more uh it's it's, a, it's more dangerous right video games still and, and this is broadening by the way but still traditionally it's like it's young males um predominantly that are kind of doing it and again that's broadening it's not just young males anymore but Social media is, is, is um, you know, it, it, it does not discriminate, right? Social media, the way that it, it hijacks the brain and the reward center, and I need one more like, and that gives me the dopamine. And so now I'm going to do something progressively more sensational and post something progressively more sensational in order to get more of those likes and get the attention, right? It's, it's a really, really slippery slope, and it's a, it's a much longer conversation. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, it's dangerous. Well, I might have to have you back. <laughs> So talk to us about about the recovery process for teens and young adults, and we're going to have to be briefer in our conversation because I'm aware of the time and our program's getting close to being over. 
So talk to us about the recovery process for teens and young adults, and please describe the steps that need to be taken to get our loved ones into recovery. Yeah, absolutely. And so the first the first and most important thing is for the, the heads of the household, the parents, to really be in solidarity and really have made a decision that that's what needs to happen, right? So the, the first step has to be that, that the kind of waffling and the back and forth and then maybe this isn't that big of a deal and maybe they're just going to grow out of this and we, don't, and we can just ignore it, that needs to kind of disappear. Um, and so that starts with the families. The next thing is that if there is, you know, and I'm going to really focus on addiction here, but if there is addiction taking place and, and dangerous using behavior going on, then that's the point where it's time to reach out to a professional, right? So parents parents don't know, they're not supposed to know how to deal with addiction. That's not, their, their qualifications aren't, aren't dealing with addiction, right? They're parents. They know how to raise young people. They know how to be loving and caring parents, but... Um, you know, if you had, if, if you, a loved one has cancer or breaks an arm, you go to a professional to have it dealt with because that's, that's what they're there for. That's what they're trained to do. And it's the same with addiction. So first yeah. it's about establishing solidarity. Next it's about, okay, making a decision and going and seeking professional help. Um, really from there, it's about taking the professional direction. Um, and finding a good professional, right, because I hate to say it, but there's there, not everyone in the field of, of addiction recovery does good work. That's just the reality, unfortunately. I know that um, for a fact. Yeah. Now, leading into that, tell us about New Life and how it's different from other programs that work with the young adults. Totally. So the way that New, so new Life is a structured recovery community. And so we, going back to that car wash concept, we've been around since 1985. Um, and so we've kind of, we've worked, we're a one-trick pony, right? We work with young men. Um, and we do, we work with a couple other programs that do amazing work with young women, by the way. Um, there's a fantastic one called Clarity House um, that does amazing work with young women. But New Life House works with young men between the ages of 18 and 32. We believe in peer grouping, and so the houses are broken down, like I mentioned earlier, further. And so we're, we're 12 to 14 months long, um, where we really take young adults from the beginning of really learning the basics of life. We have a huge focus on life skills. So addressing the underlying causes and conditions about addiction, the things that you were talking about, right, what are the unhealed wounds that are going on? spending that first 90 days or so really diving into that stuff. And then as time goes on, layering on new privileges and new responsibilities, keeping the guys safe, but also giving them the ability to, to practice these things, you know, everything from learning how to do their laundry, learning how to prepare meals, all the way up to things like, you know, vocational support, getting jobs, going back into higher education, finances, budgeting, but really taking them through this trajectory over the course, the course of that 12 to 14 months so that by the time that they graduate, um, you know, they're truly independent emotionally and also financially, but, um, but truly independent. And so it, what it really looks like is the first three months are about doing that deep dive and doing that work, um, diving into their clinical work through, um, through a program called Clear Recovery Center or kind of our sister program getting that adequate clinical support, and then going in through, through a process of, okay, becoming a mentor for the other guys in the house, true character change, right? So we, we're, uh, one of the ways we're different from other programs is that we don't shy away from talking about the uncomfortable topics, and we don't shy away from confronting behaviors, right? So really getting into what character change look like, looks like, developing integrity, de- developing resilience, 
um, equipping these guys with the stuff necessary to then around six months going out into the workforce, getting a job, supporting them through that. Um, you know, we, we get them safe jobs in the area because we've been around for so long. A lot of our alumni are very, very active and involved in our program. Um, and so oh. they've kind of worked. Yeah, actually. So as opposed to a lot of, you know, quote unquote treatment centers that will like drive their guys to meetings and, you know, treatment center vans, we actually have our alumni that sponsor the guys in the program. They're the ones that drive them to, to outside meetings, to outside young people's events. We do a lot of fun stuff. Last week, actually, our guys were in the mountains of Idlewild here in Southern California for the week camping. So we had like 200 young men up there camping. And uh, so we're, yeah, we're big on providing that camaraderie and that community and that support. That's um, so also, great. <laughs> yeah. Where is New Life House located? We're located in Southern California specifically. Um, we have two locations in the South Bay. So the Torrance Redondo Beach area, if you're familiar. Um, the South Bay of Los Angeles, excuse me. I know you're in Northern California, so the South Bay means something different. Um, we, yeah, we have two locations in the Torrance Redondo Beach area. And then we have our location for older guys um, is going to be up in uh, the Miracle Mile District of Los Angeles. And then I also work with a, a nonprofit that's very similar structure in New Life. Um, that is, uh, it's a little bit shorter length. It's, it's for a little bit different group of guys. They're, they have to be a lot more highly motivated. New Life is great at working with guys that don't necessarily want to get sober when they come to us. Um, and that was also located in, um, in the South Bay of Los Angeles. Oh, my gosh. That, that's sort of like a complete recovery mess. Now, we have about a minute and a half, and a half left, unfortunately. But what's the cost sure. of being in the New Life program? Yeah, absolutely. So New Life House is $4,000 a month. Um, it's unfortunately insurance doesn't cover it. However, what will usually happen is guys around that six-month mark, they start working and they'll contribute to their rent. Um, so that really helps families out a lot as well. And most of the time, the younger guys will get to a point where they're contributing, you know, around $1,500 a month. Um, okay. So that's a big help for families. The older guys, a lot of times, you know, after time goes on, they'll be contributing $2,500, $3,000. And so that makes a big impact for families as well. So I have to tell you, we have about 30 seconds left. I'm so sad about that. How can your, our <laughs> listeners contact you? So they can either, they can find me by going to newlifehouse.com. Um, that's probably going to be the easiest way if they want okay. to, uh, if they want to contact me. Yeah. And you'll be able to find our number on there, which, uh, yeah, is a, and that's going to be the easiest way. Let's leave it at that. And Howard Barker from New Life House. It's been such a pleasure having you on Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio this morning. I'm going to invite Thank you back because you so there's so much more information. In fact, <laughs> you've really provided wise guidance to our listeners. And until next week, this is Dr. Ann Schiebert thanking you for listening and asking you to remember that only you can make your life the way you want it to be. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.